welcome to Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s, with yours truly, Glenn Robison, on Island Radio, KISL Avalon, at 88.7 on your FM dial, and at KISLAvalon.com on your internet dial. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more on everything from Aeolian to Xenophone and by everyone from Aronson to Zerky. On this week's show, we'll celebrate Leonard Feather's birthday, we'll visit the village smithy, get our minimum daily requirement of vitamin C, and see what we can find. Leonard Feather got bumped on last week's show. Something happened. Yeah, we got to talking about you, Phil. That's what happened. So this week, we'll have not one, but two segments dedicated to Leonard Feather. One, his bands, and two, his compositions, played by others. Leonard Jeffrey Feather was born in London, England on September 13, 1914, and learned to play piano and clarinet without formal training, and by his late teens started writing about jazz for the British music publication Melody Maker. He was eventually offered a staff position, and when Louis Armstrong made his first appearance at the London Palladium, Feather managed to get an interview, and the two became lifelong friends. Feather worked as a record producer and made his first trip to the U.S. in 1935, promoting and producing new talent, composing for them, and signing on as Duke Ellington's press agent. He hosted a number of jazz radio programs in Britain in 1936 and 37 and settled in New York in 1939, where he continued to produce LPs, and wrote two books, Inside Bebop and The New Encyclopedia of Jazz. Feather relocated to Los Angeles in 1960, which is where I became aware of him as jazz critic of the Los Angeles Times, and a music educator at UCLA and several other California universities. He died of pneumonia in Encino, California, on September 22, 1994. Here are three from Leonard Feather. Thank you. 
three of those tunes are shown as traditional, so there are no composer credits. We started off with Leonard Feather's all-star jam band with Feather on piano, and Let's Get Happy with the vocal by Leo Watkin. Commodore 528 was recorded March 10, 1938, and was followed by two recordings by Leonard Feather and Ye Old English Swing Band, both from a session on September 12, 1938. Early One Morning, issued on DECA F-6810, and Whittacombe Fair, with the vocal by Dave Wilkins, trumpeter in the band. That's from DECA F-6897. I'm Glenn Robison, and you and I are listening to Rapidly Rotating Records, bringing you vintage music to which you can't not tap your toes from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s. I promised a set of Leonard Feather compositions played by others, and here it is, starting off with what Feather himself considered to be his first quality composition. Thank 
Fats Waller at the console, but not the console of the pipe organ in the former Trinity Church in Camden, New Jersey, on which we're used to hearing him play. No, no, no. This time, he was at the three-manual, eight-rank Compton organ, a genuine theater pipe organ in Studio One at Abbey Road Studios in London. The organ was originally installed in the Beaufort Cinema in Birmingham and is now located in a private residence. We heard Fats Waller and his continental rhythm with Don't Try Your Jive On Me, written by Leonard Feather and Edgar Sampson, who recorded it with his own orchestra a few months before Fats' record, made August 21, 1938. Fats recorded a couple other of Feather's tunes, You're a Square from Delaware and Scram, and perhaps you'll hear those in an upcoming show. 
Leonard Feather was known as a jazz innovator, pushing the envelope and always looking for new sounds. In 1933, he wondered why no jazz had been recorded in three-quarter or waltz time. He suggested the idea to Benny Carter, and a couple of years later, Benny Carter and his swing quartet recorded the first jazz in 3-4, Waltzing the Blues, in London on June 20, 1936. It was issued on Vocalion, Imperial, and Decca, and apparently caused a lot of controversy. I was going to play Benny Carter's August 1937 recording of Mighty Like the Blues, made in The Hague with Coleman Hawkins, George Chisholm, and Jimmy Williams, but since we just heard from Benny, I decided to play the version by the Sextet of the Rhythm Club of France, with Hazel Scott at the keyboard, and also providing the vocal. Bluebird B-10529 was made December 1st, 1939. Have a particular song or artist you'd like to hear on Rapidly Rotating Records? Well, you can send your requests and your comments about the show by email to glenn at rapidlyrotatingrecords.com or send cards or letters to Post Office Box 145, Claremont, California, 91711. That's glenn, G-L-E-N-N, at rapidlyrotatingrecords.com or Post Office Box 145, Claremont, California, 91711. Are you ready to hear some more from Whistler Joe Belmont? Well, ready or not, here he is to start off a segment about the Village Smithy. Whistling solo and vil chorus from El Salvador by Joe Belmont, Edison Records. Thank you. 
Under a spreading chestnut tree, the village smithy stands. The smith, a mighty man is he, with large and sinewy hands, and the muscles of his brawny arms are strong as iron bands. His hair is crisp and black and long, his face is like the tan. His brow is wet with honest sweat, he earns whate'er he can, and looks the whole world in the face, for he owes not any man. Week in, week out, from morn till night you can hear his bellows blow. You can hear him swing his heavy sledge with measured beat and slow, like a sexton ringing the village bell when the evening sun is low. And children coming home from school look in at the open door. They love to see the flaming forge and hear the bellows roar and catch the burning sparks that fly like chaff from a threshing floor. He goes on Sunday to the church and sits among his boys. He hears the parson pray and preach. He hears his daughter's voice singing in the village choir, and it makes his heart rejoice. It sounds to him like her mother's voice singing in paradise. He needs must think of her once more. How in the grave she lies, and with his hard, rough hand, he wipes a tear out of his eyes. Toiling, rejoicing, sorrowing, onward through life he goes. Each morning sees some task begin, each evening sees it close. Something attempted, something done, has earned a night's repose. Thanks. Thanks to thee, my worthy friend, for the lesson thou hast taught. Thus at the flaming forge of life, our fortunes must be wrought. Thus on its sounding anvil, shaped each burning deed and thought. The poem The Village Blacksmith was written in 1842 by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Harry E. Humphrey's recitation was captured by Victor on December 9, 1915, and issued as catalog number 18161. Enhancing Humphrey's reading were William H. Wright's on chimes and Edward T. King playing the organ. I don't think we've heard the harpsichord played on the show before, but before Harry Humphrey was Wanda Landowska, the instrument's leading exponent, with her May 8, 1926 harpsichord solo of Harmonious Blacksmith. More formally, the final movement, air and variations, of George Frederick Handel's Suite No. 5 in E major, HWV 430 for harpsichord, published in 1720. That's from Victor Red Seal 973. Before that, the Cinco Jazz Band in September of 1920 with Blacksmith Rag, a takeoff on the Anvil Chorus written by Harold Rudolph Pinder. Pinder was also known as, and is credited on the label of Path A 20461, as simply Rednip. Pinder spelled backwards. Anyone out there remember Saratan? We started off with our old friend Whistler Joe Belmont. He recorded his composition, The Blacksmith and the Bird, in 1920, but my copy of Edison Flat Disc 50630-L doesn't sound nearly as good as Joe's recording of Cora di Zingari. That is the Anvil Chorus from Act 2, Scene 1 of Giuseppe Verdi's 1853 opera Il Trovatore. Joe also recorded it with a simple piano accompaniment, but we heard him with an orchestral background, 
Both versions issued on Edison 2-Minute Gold-Molded Cylinder Record number 7335, released in 1902. Pretty darn good sound for a 120-year-old recording, don't you think? This orchestra didn't even try to recreate the sound of an actual anvil, but when the Los Angeles Opera Company performs Il Trovatore, which they are currently doing until October 10th at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, they don't use a 165-pound forged anvil, which they could purchase from the Acme Tool Company. Yes, Acme, of Grand Forks, North Dakota, for $1,250. Yikes, anvils is expensive. So, principal percussionist of the L.A. Opera, Teresa Diamond, uses three very carefully selected pitched metal pipes, which she personally procures from... Her local Home Depot. Well, what do you know about that? I know. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records. We're here each and every Sunday evening at 6 on Island Radio, FM 88.7, KISL Avalon, and KISLAvalon.com. This and all our previous shows are also available 24-7, on demand, anytime at all, online at RapidlyRotatingRecords.com. And we're on all the major podcast directories. On last week's show, we celebrated California's statehood, and I said the state was the almond and avocado capital of the world. Although it's not the orange capital of the world, California naval oranges are still more than a billion-dollar industry, which got its start in 1840 when William Wolfskill planted orange trees in what is now downtown Los Angeles. In 1873, naval orange tree cuttings from Brazil were planted by Eliza and Luther Tibbetts in Riverside, about 60 miles inland from L.A. One of the Tibbetts' original trees, known as the parent naval orange tree, now 148 years old, is still with us and, remarkably, still producing fruit. Just as every boysenberry plant can be traced back to Knott's Berry Farm, every naval orange tree in the United States is a descendant of that one parent naval orange tree in Riverside, just down the road from me. So, in honor of the parent naval orange tree, here's a set of rapidly rotating records about oranges. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you. 
Played it by Earl Burtnett and Paul Whiteman, but there you have Tom Kleins and his music with Jack Carney taking the vocal honors on Orange Blossom Time. Joe Goodwin wrote the lyrics and Gus Edwards the music. Columbia recorded it on June 20, 1929, and issued it on several of their labels, including the Full Price Columbia and the budget labels Harmony, Velvet Tone, and Diva. Before that, Fred Van Epps on banjo and pianist Frank Banta with Tambourines and Oranges, written by F. Henry Clickman. That's from Path A 20987, made in 1923. We started with one of my favorite bands, Ace Brigode and his 14 Virginians, asking the musical question, Why aren't you eating more oranges from California, written by Clarence Gaskell and Lou Brown. The vocal duo on that October 6, 1925 Columbia recording, number 477-D, was Lou Allen and Fred Broche. We're going to wrap things up with another California-inspired segment. California's state motto is Eureka, which translates as I found it. 
Well, I found the following three records I'd like to share with you. I feel like yelling, I'm just full of pep, but I'll watch my step, oh boy. I can't help telling, it's gotta come out. I've just got to shout with joy. I feel that I'm falling in love. Won't somebody give me a shove? Believe me, oh boy, I found a baby for me. Oh boy, she's just as cute as can be. I look at her and get hot beneath the collar. She looks at me, I go wild and then I wanna holler. Oh boy, she's like a wonderful dream. Oh joy, she's got the style of a queen. I call her sugar, cause she's so refined. But sugar's not what I've got on my mind. Oh boy, she's all a girly could be. She's a wonderful baby to me. I'm so excited, I'm just running wild. I feel like a child, hooray! I'm so delighted, I just heard from her. That makes it a perfect day. I know that you'll all understand. I've got lots of business on hand. Believe me, oh boy, I found the baby for me. Oh boy, she's just as cute as can be. She's got a stunt car that goes a mile a minute. But she needs an airplane because with her the sky's the limit. Oh boy, I've got a reason to rave. Oh boy, for her sweet kisses I crave. She's kind of sore cause I called on the phone. But how did I know that her husband was home? Oh boy, she's all a girly could be. She's a wonderful baby to me. Just the same. 
the moon and every twinkle and twinkle and star saying how happy they are since I found guess who uh -uh, nobody but you all those little butterflies are out and travel and traveling in twos they're up spreading that good good news that I found you found you and all those little birds all the little bees are hum hum humming that happy day very happy days are come come coming why can't you see me smile well honey I'm looking right up at the sun my life has really begun since I found you now there's a charming record Vondeleith with Since I Found You, written by Sidney Clare and Harry Woods. That's from Brunswick 3443, January 27, 1927. Before that, Jesse Van Camp, who found a four-leaf clover. I'm guessing Jesse Van Camp is a pseudonym, but for whom, I have no idea. That's from Puritan 78, number 11160, made in 1922. I Found a Four-Leaf Clover was written by Buddy De Silva and George Gershwin. Billy Jones started things off all by himself without Ernie Hare with, Oh boy, I found the baby for me. That's from OK4298, recorded in February of 1921. Oh boy, I found the baby for me was written by George A. Little, Jack Stanley, and Harold Dellen. I'm Glenn Robison, and I'm ecstatic that you've chosen to spend this past hour with me listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. If you had half as much fun as I did, then I had twice as much fun as you. I hope you'll click in or tune in again next week, and as always, I thank you for your very kind attention. ¶¶